Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello there, and welcome to the Adoption Chronicles. Today we've got a very special guest, Amy Shackleton, here to talk about her journey, which continues the story we started a number of weeks ago in America, but we're bringing it back home to Australia, and Amy's here to talk about her story of a donor-conceived person. Welcome to the show, Amy. Thanks for having me, Mick. My pleasure. And, yeah, so I guess your stories, um, well, all of our stories start at the beginning. Uh, How did your story start? Look, my story um, only started uh, a few years ago. I only found out (laughs) about my story a few years ago. So three years ago in 2019, um, I received a letter from the... Victorian government, letting me know they had some information about my birth details. So prior to that, grew up in a family with a mum and a dad and I was happy. I knew who my parents were and I knew who I was, Um, got to the age of 40 and suddenly received this letter and um, they said they had some information about my birth details to share with me. Yep. And I thought that was interesting. Yeah. So that um, came out of the blue, yeah? Completely out of the blue. Um, had the name of the um, the government uh, agency who had, had sent the letter, I, I Googled them and yep. um, on their website they had words like uh, IVF, uh, surrogacy and artificial insemination. And I thought, well... I don't think I was any one of those, but mm. maybe I was. Yep. Um, anyway, I gave them a ring. Yep. And they confirmed who who I was, my identity. 
And they said to me, um, we'd like to let you know that you were, your parents had used a donor to conceive you when you were born. So your dad, who you grew up with, was not, he's not your biological father. And the reason you're receiving this letter now is that your uh, real biological father um, would like to make contact with you. Wow. And how did that land on? How did you feel about all of that? It was absolutely um, so many emotions all at once. Yeah. Um, I, I was just confused, overwhelmed. Uh, there was excitement in there going, who is this person? Mm -hmm. This is crazy. Yeah. Um, how, how can someone just write me a letter at the age of 40 and say, um, and say your dad's not your biological father? Um, yeah. I, I had no idea. I was completely bewildered, so many emotions all at once. Um, I just I had no idea how to deal with it, really. Yeah. Um, and it's I guess, crazy. yeah, and as much as our stories are all unique in a degree, when we receive earth-shattering news, there's no way or counselling to prepare us for that. From there on in, what happened next? Yes, yeah, so this government agency did have counsellors to help support me. Mm -hmm. um, so I was lucky that I was supported through this process. Yep. And... They and did they provide support for your family as well, your your parents? Yeah, they did. They were, they were fantastic. They um, offered. They actually offer support to anyone who was affected by me finding out this information. So, yep. my parents, who I grew up with, my partner, my um, my biological father, who had had made the contact with me. Um, yeah, anyone who was who was affected, and yeah, they were all offered support. Some of them chose to take it, some of them didn't. Yep. But they were all definitely offered as as much support as they needed. Right. Um. So I was told in that first phone call that the reason I was receiving, I'd received the letter and the information was that my biological father was would like to make contact with me, and this was because. Back in 2017, there was a change to the laws in Victoria that allowed um, retrospective um, access to identifying information for donor-conceived people, yep. identifying information about their donors. Yep. So it allows either, and it's world-leading legislation um, in Victoria, the only state in Australia that has this legislation okay. currently. Yep. Um, so it allows either donor-conceived people to make contact with their donors yep. or donors to make contact with their offspring. I so guess it can go both ways. Yeah, so with the uh, contact, is it mm -hmm. common or is it uncommon for the donors to want to make contact with the children that they've... Um, Mm -hmm. that they have offspring yeah it's far more common for the donor conceived people to be contacting their donors yeah um for a few reasons um many donors uh were told back in the day so i was born in the or conceived in the 70s yep um 
And back in that time, my parents were told, the donor was told, everyone's told it was completely anonymous and there yeah. was no way that anyone could ever find out the identity yeah. of each other. Um, my parents were told to go home, never tell anyone, don't think about it ever again, and definitely don't tell the child because it will damage them irreparably. Right. So they never told me and they never planned to tell me. Right. Um, and that was advice by the people at the that time? That was medical advice. Wow. Yes. Don't ever tell the child, it will damage them, which was actually uh, the opposite of the advice that they, the medical advice they were giving to adoptees at mm. that time. In yes. the 70s, because I grew up with friends who were adopted and they were told from birth that they yeah. were adopted because that was important information to tell them. Yeah. But it wasn't considered important information to people. Yeah, that's... Which um, is interesting. Very interesting. <laughs> and I guess um, at the time so, when, they was, when they were talking to the, to the donors, they are considered not really... You know, I guess what's the right term? That they would never be found out who they were. Yeah, and and donors, after they donated, they were told to go home and forget about it because they were never going to be able to contact any children. They were, um, met, a lot of them were told that it, it wasn't even going to be used, it was just going to be used for medical research. They wouldn't necessarily get a, a live child out of it. Wow. Um, it was a very low... Uh, um, hit rate or positive rate anyway. So they're like the chances that you'll get a child out of this are pretty low anyway. Yep. So most of them, if you talk to them now about it, most of them just forgot about it because they were young and they went yeah. home, they forgot about it. Yep. And 40 years later, they're not thinking about it. No. You know, they've moved on with their lives. Yeah. So they're not the kind of people who are going to be putting their hands up and saying I'd like to try and contact my donor conceived offspring because most of them aren't really thinking about it so no. often when donor conceived people um, try to contact them they're, they're quite surprised and they go oh I'd completely forgotten about this yeah and I never thought about it past when I was in my early 20s absolutely and it's also contrary to the advice that they were given at the time as well yeah, they were they were told that there was no way that anyone could ever contact them. So they're kind of like, oh, how is this happening? Yeah. So, um, yeah, the, there are very few donors who actually um, who make contact with their offspring. Um, in my situation, it was uh, I might when I get to that, I'll I'll explain why it happened the way it happened. Yep. Yeah, it it doesn't often happen that way. It often happens the other way. The other way around. So. Yeah. Yeah, so I I found out I was donor conceived, and I found out that I had this biological father who wanted to make contact with me. Yep. Um, the legislation says that I then um, have the right to make a contact preference. Okay. So I can choose whether I want to have contact or not with him. Yep. Um, so I could have said no, I don't want any more contact, and he would not have been given my ID. Right. done through the government agency so he doesn't have my details right so i could have said no but of course i was very intrigued about this person who i shared 50 percent of my dna with yeah as well as being shocked and overwhelmed and what's going on this is crazy yeah yeah um so i said yes i would like to find out a little bit more and they said he's written you a letter okay of introduction 
and when you're ready to hear it um, or read it, you are welcome to read it if that's what you would like to do. Uh, this is what the council has said, yeah, and they yeah. said it usually takes, you know, a few weeks after you've been through counselling for a few weeks and you, you've got over the shock of understanding that you're donor conceived. Yep. Then you can hear the um, the letter if you'd like, or read the letter if you'd like to. Yep. And um, I said, can I read the letter today? Oh. And they said, well, that's very fast. Most people don't want to do it that quickly. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and I said, I'd like to, I'd like to read it today. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, and through this whole process, I actually did things um, very quickly, and they kept telling me to slow down. But right. I was, I'm a bit of a I like to do things quickly. The Band-Aid needs uh, to come off now. So, yeah, I, I heard, and they read the letter out to me over the phone the okay. first, in the first uh, phone call. Yep. It was the most beautiful letter I've ever heard, Mick. Um, right. It was just my donor, who I call uh, Sig, which yep. is his name, okay. S-I-G. Yep. I don't call him dad or um, anything like that because I have a dad. Yep. Um. He's my, uh, Sig is my biological father and I just call him Sig. Yep. He wrote a beautiful letter that just summarised his life, um, what his interests were, what he'd done for a career, um, what what he enjoyed doing, what he liked doing, what he did at school um, and, you know, a, a few things about what he'd like to, what he'd like to find out about me. Um, he also mentioned that he'd already connected with two other um, donor-conceived offspring of his okay. who were half-siblings of mine. Yes. Which was amazing. So suddenly I'd gone from finding out I was donor-conceived to finding out I had a – finding out who my um, biological father was to finding out I had two siblings all within about 10 minutes. Wow. Which is a huge shock to try and deal with all at once. I hope you were sitting down. I was sitting down, yeah. And reading the, or hearing the letter was just um, the most amazing feeling because it was like they were, um, it was like I was reading about my own life. Right. So, with that, then, obviously, there were some similarities. As you were growing up, were any um, was there any indication that made you think that you might not be related at all, or was everything completely normal? You had similar mm. personalities. You, you looked similar with your hair color and um, build and all that type of thing. There wasn't anything that made you think, "Hang on, I'm a little bit like a black sheep type scenario here." Was there anything like that in your childhood? Yeah, so um, I felt I, I never felt like I didn't fit in yep. with my family. Um, so because I'm donor conceived, I'm biologically related to my mother yes. and not biologically related to my dad, who I grew up with. Yes. Um, I always knew that I didn't take after my mother too much, mm -hmm. and I actually thought I took after my dad. Right. More than my mum. Okay. And whenever people would ask me where I got certain traits from, I'd say, oh, yeah, I get that from my dad. I get that from my yeah, dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
which looking back is is crazy yeah <laughs> um, uh, but I do I do actually get all those things from my biological father but now I know my biological father I definitely get them from my biological father I don't get them from right. um, my dad I grew up with yeah um, I had absolutely no reason to to question whether I was related to either of them or whether I fit in. Yep. Um, I had a very loving um, family and a loving upbringing. And um, yeah, I, I just had no reason to question it at all, which is why when I got this letter, I was just completely knocked for six. Yeah. However, when I look back now, um, I feel a bit, uh, a bit silly because there were a lot of, um, signs that I really should have looked at um, in, harder at the time. Yeah, but in, in saying that, though, um, you would have had to have been a high-level detective to figure it out, though. Um, as Well, no, look, yeah. I, um, I was a, a, a high-level musician yep. as a child and as an adult. Yep. Um, I picked up musical instruments and music very easily. I could play, I, I played many different instruments at a high level and just, you know, you put a musical instrument in my hands and I'd learn, I'd just teach myself to play it. Right. Um, I had a, a, a natural ear for music and I just loved it and I was very musical as a child. Neither of my parents had any musical ability whatsoever. Right. So we had no idea where that musical ability came from. Yeah. Uh, my mum kept saying things like, "Oh yes, your great aunt. It comes from somewhere there." Yeah, yeah. And I went, "Oh yeah, it must. Yep. It must come from there." Yep. Um, I was also very academic as a child. Um, I ended up. Um, I, I won a lot of academic awards, and I ended up um, going to Melbourne University to do a degree in pure mathematics. Nice. Um, a science degree on a, a scholarship. Yep. Um, so lots of scholarships and awards and, and things like that. And yep. both of my parents left school in year 10 yep. and were not at all academic. So I would spend a lot of time sitting and trying to talk about the origins of the universe. Right. And they were just not really on that level at all. I mean, they were great people, but yeah, yeah. academically we were um, mismatched. Yeah. You wouldn't be having a conversation about string theory with them. No, no. So I, I was the first person in my family to ever go to university. Yep. So it was very exciting yeah. for my family and for everyone. Absolutely. We were very excited about that. Yep. Um, but when I uh, when I met my donor, um, he is a professional musician. Right. Um, so... Clearly, that's where I get the yeah. music from. He he plays similar instruments to the ones that I chose okay. to play. Um, he uh, has attended university. Um, his father and uncles. Um, so he's actually from America. He's American, so okay. I'm, I'm half American. Yep. Who knew? Um, but he lives. He came out to Australia when he was in his early twenties uh, for a couple of years, and he's still here now, fifty years later. Okay, Australia does it. Do um, I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> so he grew up in America. Um, 
his father and all his uncles uh, went to Stanford University to do medicine. Nice. And um, his brothers and sisters are all um, highly educated university students. So I'm definitely not the first person in my family to go to university. Right. And it just, a lot of things just made sense when I read through his letter and I kind of thought, yeah, this is where where things came from. Right. So I guess then it stands that you guys have met? Yeah. So um, I got his letter. Um, we connected and spoke on Messenger. Yep. Um, I also connected with my brother and sister. So we were all born in the same um, year. Okay. Which is pretty awesome. Yeah. So are you all within, I guess it's a little bit weird, but are you all within nine months of each other? Yeah, we are. Yeah. Yeah, right. That'd be interesting when you're at the pub or something like that and you say, hey, this is my sibling and you're not twins, but you're less than nine Mm -hmm. months apart. Yeah, it's very, it's very cool. Yeah. (laughs) It's very cool when we, um, (laughs) when we pull that out. But we're, yeah, we're half-siblings. So we all grew up in our own separate families. Of course. Um, we all found out at different times that we were donor-conceived and yep. none of us grew up with SIG. Right. Um, and we all met him um, at in our late 30s. I was the last one at the age of 40. Yep. So um, they, they searched for a while uh, to find him. And uh, they knew from the records that they could access records through this government agency to find out how many children were born. Right. Um, they could find out how many siblings they had and see could find out how many children he had. So they okay. knew there were three from right. the records. So then they... would I be right in thinking or assuming that your half-siblings started the search and SIG finished it? Um, the search for me. Yeah, or, or even the whole search process. So, Yeah, definitely. So my, my sister started it. Um, she found my brother and then together they found Sig. Right. Um, and then they all tried to find me, um, but because I didn't know I was donor conceived, I wasn't on any of the usual forums right. that people try to connect with each other. Yep. So they realised that the only way they could with me was for SIG to outreach through this new government program with the new um, legislation change. Right. So they basically convinced SIG to make this outreach because you can't outreach sibling to sibling. It can only be from donor to offspring. Okay. So it was actually a group outreach rather than just the donor. And is that that unique to Victoria? Yes. The legislation is unique to Victoria currently. Right, because I guess we'll, we'll... I'll talk a bit later about yes, some other states. Yes, just about to say we'll move into um, the legislation part of your story a little bit later. Um, but I guess right now... And, and it's unique to... That's the only place in the world where that's um, oh, allowed as well. Right, okay. Well, Victoria mm. uh, leading from the front. Mm, most definitely, it's world-leading legislation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so... How did the meeting go? So um, 
my my sister lives in Canberra and my brother lives in LA. Yep. Um, so amazingly, he um, grew up in Australia and he got to um, 18, 19 and, and said to his parents, I'm going to go and live in um, America. Wow. And they said, why? And he said, I don't know, I just need to. Yeah, okay. And when he found out who his biological father was, that he was American, it all made sense. Yeah. So he's done the opposite to what Sig did, and yeah. he still lives in America now. Right. Um, he is a film producer. Okay. And Sig is also a um, film critic. Right. In Australia. Okay. Works in the film industry. Yeah. So... Um, my brother was coming out to Australia for a trip for his latest film, the the um, Australian premiere of his latest film. Yep. Um, at the Melbourne International Film Festival. Nice. Um, just a few months after I uh, found out about them all. So that would have been pretty exciting, I guess. Look, it was exciting but very overwhelming mm. and the counsellors I was working with were like, you can't go to this, this is too soon. Yeah. But I was like, this yeah. is an amazing So my sister came from Canberra and uh, she came and my brother from America came out, obviously, and I met them all at my brother's film premiere, which wow. was Pretty amazing. I reckon. Nick. Yeah. Um, and very overwhelming and very emotional for me. And I, I don't have a lot of recollection of that day. I reckon you would have floated through the day, I reckon. Yeah. Um, I'm really glad that I did it because that was uh, October 2019. Yeah. Um, and my brother flew back to the US and as you know mm. the end of 2019 was when the world shut down didn't it and we don't know when we when I'll have an opportunity to see my brother again yeah um you know he hasn't been able to travel since then yep. so we're not I'm really totally... glad that I did see him yeah that opportunity absolutely because we're not totally out of the woods yet mm. so yeah I did uh meet them all at that film yeah, and um, since then I've I've seen my sister quite a few times, um, yep. three or four times. Yep. Um, and Sieg lives in Melbourne, so I see him um, quite regularly every few months. Okay. Um, we have a close. I, ha I have a very close relationship with all of them. We we chat online um, just about every day, mm -hmm. um, and we talk regularly. Um, very close with my siblings. The three of us are, are very close. Our parents, um, well, they're my brother's sister's parents are very close as well and are yep. very um, accepting of me. Cool. And they're kind of like extra parents to me. And they were um, they were part of uh, uh, accepting me into the family. And they were also offered counselling through the. Um, through the government agency when I joined the family. Right. Um, and they've, they've been fantastic to me as well. Oh, well, that's good. And 
Yeah, it's just it's it's been. I mean, it's it's a very traumatic and tough way to find out and to try and rewrite your whole identity. And I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. Yeah. But uh, I'm really glad that I know. Yeah. Yeah. And I um, believe that everyone should have the right or should be told their their donor conceived status. Yep. And then be able to decide, yes, I'd like to find out more or no, I don't want to know anymore. I'm just happy to live in this bubble of pretending that the parents I grew up with were the parents, are the parents who are my genetic parents and I'm happy with that. Yeah. But I think it should be up to the individual rather than someone else who's who says, you know, a government body or anyone else who says, I'm not going to tell you. Yeah. Having the choice is so important. Then you can take full ownership of your own life, your own path that you're treading. If you don't know, yeah, then you... Then you can't choose. That's right. And, you know... We, we, we can say life's not fair and all of that, but we need to give each individual as much opportunity to make the best decisions for themselves as we can. Um, so, yeah. I yeah, think, and uh, then support them absolutely. to get through the, that stage. And I was yes. very lucky that I was supported um, to help um, get through that, that traumatic stage. And, you know, I'm still receiving counselling now, um, it's three years later. It's it's yep. not something that that you get over after a couple of no. Weeks. Well, three years is still early days, really. It's still new. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm um, still trying to work out how I can have relationships and how I can fit these new people into my life. Yeah, and especially considering that two of those three years have been in isolation to a large degree, especially yeah, being exactly, in Melbourne. Yeah, um, you guys have. Um, copped it more yeah. than the rest of the country. Yeah, most definitely. And and even um, that has affected a lot of people in itself, let alone mm. um, the trauma that goes along with a life-changing bit of news. Um, so, yeah. I yeah, think, there's a lot. There's a lot going on. Yeah. So, yeah. Speaking of a lot going on, you have been involved with... Well, let's I guess back get back to the legislation part of the conversation. Um, you're helping mm. other people now as well, which is you know yeah. testament to the character that you are. Yeah. So um, because uh, I spent a lot of time um, researching and finding out the the background of um, people who had um, advocated to and, and worked really hard in the donor conceived community to ensure that this leg, this world leading legislation um, was enacted in 2017 in Victoria. Yep. And we have a really strong donor conceived community within Australia, um, which I'm a part of. And um, I'm just so grateful for the people who pushed and worked so hard for many years to ensure that that legislation was enacted because yep. if they hadn't done that, I would still not know my 
genetic truth and my genetic yeah. heritage and I would not have met any of my family and I just I don't know where I would be now I mean I would still be in the dark and I mm. would have no idea so I, I'm just I'm eternally grateful to those people and I feel like it's um, a passing of the the baton and um, I really want to take on that role to continue to advocate for people in other states mm -hmm. to ensure that they um, have the same rights that I had because currently, depending on where you uh, were conceived yep. and, and born in Australia, depends on whether you have the right to know your um, genetic parents or not, to know yeah. the identity of them. Yeah, that's um, and that's crazy I think that's stuff. terrific. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, if I was born in another state, I would not have the same rights that I have, and I would not know my my genetic heritage at all. I still wouldn't know. Yeah, and these are um, these are these are human rights, really. You know, knowing the truth about how we were conceived is. Yeah. is pretty important. And I guess one of the things the basic human right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Speaking with Jeremy a couple of weeks Sorry. ago, um, in America, it sounded to be quite open over there. And that, again, depends upon which state that you're in. And here it seems absolutely crazy, even with the adoption stories and the adoption legislation, why there's so many differences in the state, whereas... It doesn't make any sense to me. There's a bit of commentary. Mm. So um, I have started up um, an organisation called Donor Conceived Australia yep. um, with another donor conceived person, Ross Hunter. Yep. Um, we've just started this up uh, at the end of last year. Um, we thought we'd, we'd just start up. It would just be a small group that we'd start up. But um, it's had an amazing success rate so far nice. and we're incredibly proud of, of what we've done. Absolutely. Um, basically what we've done is um, brought together all the work of smaller groups um, and individuals who've been advocating for up to 20 years um, for donor-conceived rights around right. Australia. Yep. And we've brought them together under one national banner. Yep. So although the organisation itself is new, the um, the work that's been done and the people who are inside it have been have been working in this area for a long time. Right. So it's it's not brand new. Yeah. Um, it's just the name of the organisation and the national part of it. Yeah. Um, so we had three pillars: um, yep. support, education, and advocacy. Yep. Um, the support side is obviously supporting donor-conceived people and, and people around the triad, recipient parents, donors who need support to help find their genetic family or people who are um, considering using a donor mm -hmm. um, in the future. Yep. Um, education, we educate people who are considering using a donor, um, educating members of the public, educating the media, things like what I'm doing now in this podcast, educating yep. members of the public. Yep. Um, and in the advocacy section, we're working with, um, we're actually currently working with five different state governments to enact um, new legislation 
um, for donor conceived people to increase their rights. Yep. And you're um, not just like giving advice. Like I said, there's not a lot out there currently. Yeah. I was going to say, you're not just giving advice to members of parliament for them to write the legislation. You're actively helping and assisting write the legislation yourselves, aren't you? Yeah, we're working at a we're working at a high level um, at various stages with um, different um, governments, yep. and I'm, I know this has been a bit vague, but it would take me forever yeah. if, I, yep. if I went through what, what stage we were at with each um, with each uh, with each government. Yeah. Um, but basically, what we're we're calling for. I mean, our, our overarching view is that the rights of the child created are of paramount importance in any policy and practice mm. and should be the number one thing that we think about whenever we're setting any kind of legislation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're calling for nationally consistent legislation. Yep. Um, including the right to know one's genetic history. And also for sibling to sibling contact, which is something that we don't currently have in the Victorian legislation, yep. which I talked about. Um, the problem with national legislation is that uh, the donor conception uh, laws are currently under health, um, uh, the health law, which is a state based law. Yep. So it kind of has to go under the states to start with, but. It needs to be national because we have um, a situation where a lot of donors are gametes, which gametes are um, egg and sperm, um, and also embryos are not gametes, but embryos are another <laughs> um, type of um, thing yep. that were sent um, interstate. Right. So, so you can you can um, have a donor who donated mm -hmm. in Victoria, and there may have been um, ten children created in Victoria, conceived in Victoria from that donor's donations, yep. and then their gametes may have been sent to South Australia and New South Wales. So the children who were conceived in Victoria have the right to know their information and to find out about their donor and their donors um, to connect with their donor but those who are conceived from the same donor in South Australia and New South Wales um, don't have currently have the right to find out that information. Yeah, that's madness. So we need a, a nationally, a national register that links all this kind of transfer of, of gametes around the country. Yeah. Yep. And that's um, brilliant work you're doing there. Um, you guys should be really proud of uh the path that you're forging because it's the type of legislation that will live for a very long time and will help hundreds of thousands of people in the future. Um, maybe, you know, I guess I'll look at the future as in... No, well, that's... Any, you know? Yeah, that's the point. I mean, there's there's new donor conceived people being born every day and yeah. they're, they're fighting for their rights because they're not, they're not old enough. They can't speak for themselves. They're no. just babies. Yeah. Um, and we're also fighting for the rights of the children who aren't born yet, who are going to be born yeah, in the future. Absolutely. Um, because they deserve to be um, brought up under correct laws. But yep. um, those older donor conceived people like 
myself, um, we actually believe that around 80 to 90% of those people don't, aren't aware that they're donor conceived. Wow. So there's still a lot of people out there who don't know, haven't yeah. been told. And the donors, you know, the, the eldest donor conceived people in Australia who were from an official program are around their mid 40s. Yep. Um, and their donors will be around se- mid, early to mid 70s. Yep. Currently. Okay. And if we wait much longer, their, their donors are going to start um, passing away and, and yeah. there won't be an opportunity for those people to actually connect with them while, while their donors are still alive. Yeah, yeah. that's So um, we're in... really hoping to get an awareness campaign to get as many donor-conceived people to be told that they're donor-conceived by their parents Yep. so they can connect with their donors before it's too late. Yeah. So where can people start looking if they have a inkling or some question that they feel that they might need answering how can they start the process so it's quite complex depending on what state you were conceived in right. um i would recommend the best thing to do rather than we go through every state now yep, yep. <laughs> um best thing to do is to contact donor conceived australia and we can point you in the right direction yep um so we can be contacted at donorconceivedaustralia.com.au yep. on our web link. Um, and I think we're going to put some links in the uh, show notes yes, um, as well yep. for people. Um, so I can be contacted uh, if you'd like to speak directly and, and find out more about how you can find out more information. Um, we, we don't just work with donor-conceived people. We're happy to speak to donors, recipient parents, anyone who would like to speak about, to find out anything about donor conception. Yep. Um, and we're happy to link people up and work with people in whatever way they need to and help you to work with the registers within your state as well at whatever level is available to you. Oh, that's brilliant. That's... Uh, um... Yeah, great advice there. And so we will definitely be sharing those links um, and the contact details yeah, in the in the notes and mm. in the comments. And, and I will say there are there are ways that you can find out more information. Um, it's not all doom and gloom. No. Um, but I just don't have time to go through absolutely every possibility. No, that's right too. And and as always, the um, the podcasts and the conversations that we have here. are uh, when it comes to advice, are always very, very general. And if it gets yes. too specific, it needs to be um, taken offline, I guess. And then we can really help. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it would be different for every individual situation anyway. Yep. One thing we do have in common is that all of our stories are very, very unique. Um, and... Mm. Yes, thank you very much for coming on and telling us your unique story uh, today. Amy, have you got anything else that you'd like to add before we wrap it all up? Um, Look, I'd just like to um, talk about the the links between the adoption community and the Don't Conceive community. Sure. Um, Because we haven't really covered that, but um, we've 
the donor conceived community has had a lot of support from the adoption community traditionally. Yep. yep. Um, particularly when we were as a as a cohort or as a community, we were younger and we couldn't speak for ourselves. Yeah. Um, the adoption community was one of the first communities to recognise that this would be a problem when we became older. Yeah, yep. Um, and we're very grateful for that. Yep. Um, and they started advocating. They were the, one of the first groups to start advocating for us, which is um, fabulous. And um, we've also um, our advocacy work and legislation work seems to follow uh what the adoptive community seems to get. So when the adoptive community uh, moves towards integrated birth certificates, then um, hopefully that will happen for us soon. Um, And everything that that seems to happen in the adoptive community legislation-wise, later on it will it will happen for donor-conceived people. So yeah. it's like the adoptive community kind of paves the way for donor-conceived yep. people. Yep. And we're very grateful for that. And we work closely with the adoptive community. And, um, you know, there, there are some parallels um, yep. and there are some differences. Yeah, of course. But, um, you know, we're... we're um, brothers and we understand yeah. that we work, work together on things and, Absolutely. and we're grateful for that. Yeah, and, and that's, yeah, I was going to say that it feels like we're, there's definitely so many similarities. It's like, yeah, we're cousins or long-lost brothers and sisters and, yeah. you know, we've um, we've made a lot of mistakes in, I guess, uh, how governments have they've tried their best and they thought they were doing the right thing in the early days and that's mm. turned out not necessarily to be the case. Um, and there's been mistakes made, but there's also been a lot of work done to heal wounds and to improve how things are rolling. And, you know, only together, I think, can we help each other and and, and mm. try to generate some more positive stories which is what it's all about yeah definitely that's yeah. what it's that's what it's all about working together yeah yeah absolutely so and that's what tonight's been all about as well um coming together and um being able f- for you to tell your story amy and i really appreciate you coming on and all the very very best with all the work that you're doing um because it's really important and wish you all the very, very best. Thank you so much for having me, Mick. My pleasure. Thank you. That was Amy Shackleton telling her story, which is very, very unique. However, um, she's doing some very, very important work in the donor-conceived community. And as always, um, you can look up her information on the show notes. And if you've got a story to tell uh, or in adoption or donor conceived world please drop us a line i'd love to have you on to tell your story because it uh, helps everybody i think when we hear and learn about each other's stories um until next time bye for now
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.